Right, last week I ended off with Luke chapter 12, verses 13 and uh, verses 14. So, and, but last week I, I did an introduction into a message uh, that I call the, the promotion or the promotion of the Lord. I think it's, it's a picky art. It's a clean picky. Right, and so, and I, and I did an introduction session where I just had a few questions. Uh, and the questions were designed uh, in such a way that while I'm speaking uh, on today's topic, that you won't misunderstand what I was saying. So, for example, while I'm speaking, you could think that I'm saying you, you shouldn't plan, right? Or, or um, what were some of the other questions I had here? Can you eat from God's goodness? While I'm speaking, you could start maybe feeling guilty if you start buying yourself something, you know? And I don't want you to have that feeling. So I needed to get those questions out of the way so that everyone can, uh, so we can all be together, that you don't misinterpret what I am saying when I say it. So I had, I think, five questions. Can you plan? Yes. We won't go into those scriptures now. Can you plan your prosperity? Yes. Can you eat from God's goodness and abundance? Yes. Um, must I work? Yes. Okay. What does God want? Seek first the kingdom of God. It's the first priority. And then we ended off with what is covetousness. So all those questions, uh, we, we, we put it up there so that I gave it last week to you so that you can, so that while I'm speaking, you don't misinterpret or misunderstand what I'm saying. Because uh, it may sound like I'm not saying you should plan or that you can eat or plan um, your prosperity or your advancement. It may sound like it, but it's not really what I'm saying. We are dealing with the intent the motive of the heart, okay? The intent, the motive of the heart. And uh, we're going to be speaking today about covetousness. What is covetousness? And we're going to go a little bit into that, uh, those scriptures. And while I'm speaking, the purpose of speaking of covetousness is not to bring you under any guilt or under any condemnation. Um, I'm not throwing stones or anything like that. I, uh, I think what Jesus says here, uh, we'll read it just now. Jesus said, take heed. So the reason, the reason we speak about something like this is because we want to take heed. And the, the meaning of take heed means to look, to see, to discern, to perceive. To understand it. So, so, if you don't understand what covetousness is or how it works or how it works in our lives and so on, then we, then we can't take it. We can't see it. We can't discern it. Right? You understand? I think I gave you last week the example. If I said, beware of the dog 
and you've never seen a dog in your life, and you've never heard of a dog before in your life, how are you going to be aware of a dog? Because you don't know what it looks like, uh, you don't know what it does, and all those type of things. Um, and then you might, you might get bitten by the dog and didn't even know that it was a dog. Oh, is it a dog that bit me? Oh, is that what you call it? You, you understand what I'm saying? So the whole reason for going into this is to give us spectacles, to give us eyes to see, eyes that we may see so that we may be able to take heed, able to be aware of this, of this thing. And so we're dealing with the heart as we go into, as we go later on into uh, what God expects of us, how we should work in our workplaces, what we can do to, to improve ourselves. And so the whole thing has to do with promotion. And I think the opening scripture was Psalm 75. I think it was verse 6. It says promotion. Another scripture will say exaltation. Promotion doesn't come from the east. The, the west or the south, but God sits as a judge. So in other words, God judges our work. It didn't say God sits as your savior. So he's not, um, he's not primarily or your, or your best friend, you know, or your redeemer. Yeah. Something that he just does and all you need to do is believe. No. There is, he analyzes, he evaluates, he looks at how you do your work. Are you doing your work properly? Do you deserve a promotion? Do you deserve to be set up? Or do you deserve to be put down? Or do you deserve actually just to stay where you are? Right? Amen? You're all with me. So, I just want to say that. Uh, the reason why we speak about covenant is to give us spectacles. It's to cause us to understand. Right? It's not, not to bring any condemnation. Okay. So let's go. Yeah, verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Okay. So the next one. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge and a divider over you? So, am I saying it's wrong for you to have your, to want your inheritance? No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, but Jesus, I think he was, uh, in verse 15, he gives it, he, I think he perceived the heart of the man. Alright, next verse 15. And he said unto them, take heed, beware of covetousness, for man's life consists not in the abundance of, of the things which he possesses. So a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. So number one, we are to take heed. And that word, like I said just now, means to look, to discern, to perceive. The, the Greek, if you look at the Greek meaning for that, to discern clearly. One must be able to see it. So in other words, we are now talking deeper. The, if you want to see covetousness, its work and all those type of things, then you have to be, have mental perception. You have to have mental sight into what covetousness is. Right? And that's how you will be able to see it. 
So that's important. That's important. Um, it has to do with mental sight. We, we started in the beginning of the year speaking about the eye of your understanding. How, how the internal eye affects the way I look through the natural eye. All right. And then the next one is beware. That means to guard, to avoid, and to preserve. So, so if you are able to see, then you can guard then you can avoid and you can preserve yourself. So that's what the word beware means. Uh, to guard, to avoid and preserve. So Jesus wants us to guard ourselves against covetousness. Okay, covetousness, he wants, to, uh, wants us to guard ourselves against that. Then the word covetousness here, uh, it means a greedy desire to have more. A greedy desire to have more. Greedy desire to have more. Uh, a desire that puts you first before God and His kingdom. So, Covetousness is a desire that puts you first before God and its kingdom. And we know that the Bible says that um, seek ye first the kingdom of God okay, and his righteousness. So, so God wants you to put him first. The first uh, or the greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. God wants to be first. The, fir the, the Ten Commandments, the first half of them has to do with your relationship with God. The others has to do your relationship with man. You shall have no other gods, you shall have no idols, you shall make no graven image. It has to do with your relationship with God. Then it goes and says, you shall, um, you shall covet no man's wife, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Now it has to do with your relationship with man. Do you see? So the, God wants to be first, priority, first in everything. So covetousness will put your desires first and not God's desires. Okay. Another thing about covetousness, it's a desire for things not belonging to you. It's a desire for things not belonging to you. That's why the one of the command, Ten Commands is, Thou shalt not covet another man's, and covet a man's wife. Okay, so in other words, you can have a desire for someone that, that you should have no right to desire for. And the word there is used, you shall not covet. Alright? Okay, a desire for things not belonging to you. Sometimes we can desire people's um, jobs or houses or cars etc we can desire those things those type of things do happen they do happen okay a strong uh, another one a strong desire for money okay it's a strong desire for money and we'll look into some scriptures just now then covetousness Covetousness can cause you or lead you to a place where you steal. 
take something by threats or violence. Okay? When you, when you have covered a strong desire for something, you can get violent for it. Okay? Right. So now, just based on the scripture, here it says, He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. So in other words, your covetousness has to do with the accumulation of physical things. Right? You all with me? Uh, just in the scripture here, covetousness has to do with accumulating the abundance of things. It's the anniversary of it. <laughs> right? So, the accumulation of a lot of things. You're all, we're always just getting, the more I get, the more I add. The more I get, the more I take for myself. It has to do with the abundance. Am I saying it's wrong for you to, to eat and buy for yourself? No. Jesus is dealing with the motive, the intent of the heart. Okay. Let's go with me. Okay. Give me verse 16. Verses 16. And he spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Okay, so he was bringing forth in abundance. And he thought within himself. Okay, so there's a thinking here. There's a way that it causes you to think. It's a, a thought within himself. Jesus is now using the parable to, exp, to give you an example of how covetousness works. Alright? Um, he thought within himself saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? Fruits. So in other words, the man had enough. The man was, the Bible said he was rich and the Bible says that he had enough and he was well taken care of. And it was, you know, flowing over all. And, you know, if you take it in his ground, I don't know what he was, Bible doesn't say what exactly, okay, but with fruits, so probably had maybe apple trees and all those type of things. So this man had a ground that was bringing forth and he needed more room because what he was getting was too much and he didn't have place to store it. So um, when we have covetousness, we are not willing to give it away when we have enough. So we want to make more room to, to bring it back to us. You all understand what I'm saying? Okay, so he says, because I have no room where to bestow. So there's a thinking going in with verse 18. So obviously with this thinking, he comes up with a plan. He comes up with a plan of how he will, how he will increase everything. And then verse 18 he says, and he said, this will I do. I will pull down my bonds and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. So no, notice the word, I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. Can you see? So covetousness brings you to the place where everything that you have is just for you. There's no room to, to give, uh, to give to others, 
to give for God's kingdom, to for the work of God, or in just those type of cases. The covetousness will bring you to the place where everything is just for yourself. Okay, the more you prosper, the more you increase, the more it is just coming in abundance, the more it's just, it's just all, it's all got to come back to you. It's, uh, it's just got to stay with you. It can't be shared. You, you understand what I'm saying? Okay, then the next one, verse 19. And this, and I will say to my soul, so you have much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So take thy ease. The word ease means have a rest, have, you know, relax, have peace. Eat and drink, be merry. So it's his soul that's saying this. So he said to his soul, the Bible says, and I will say to my soul, Take ease. So the soul is now have rest. Right? The soul has rest. Uh, eat, drink, and be merry. So, um, so the abundance of things can bring your soul into a rest. But Jesus wants to be your peace. Jesus wants to be the giver of your rest. Our we must build our lives upon, upon God. He must be the one that gives us the peace, the rest, the, the joy that we have. Okay, next verse, verse 20. But God said unto him, You fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Then who shall those things be which you have provided? Okay, so when covetousness is driving and all, again, uh, coming from last week's session, uh, are we saying you can't have, can't eat, can't provide, can't increase in your personal life and in the things that you have? That's not what we are saying. We're dealing with the intent of the heart. Everything that drives the intention and therefore it produces the thinking, right? The thinking. And he says here, uh, God says, you're a fool this night, so your show be required of you. Then who shall those things be which you have provided? So the famous scripture that we use, or not, uh, we, I don't use that scripture at funerals. I haven't done a funeral yet, so, or really. So, but one of the famous scriptures at funerals is, naked you came into the world, naked you shall go out. <laughs> yeah, that's a very famous scripture and so on. Right, so, uh, so in other words, when we pass away, there's nothing that we can take with us. Okay, it all just stays here behind. Right, okay, next point, 21. So is he that lays up treasure. So here's the point of the parable. Here's the point of the parable. So is he that lays up treasure for himself. And is not rich towards God. Right? So here, the parable was telling us, the whole parable was to say that you all the things, everything you get up, you lay up treasure for yourself. Right? Remember the, the key word in the one verse? He says, He will bestow 
all his fruits in his barns. So he will lay all his treasure, everything that he's doing, the, the, all the prosperity out of whether it will be out of a job that he has or his business or anything. Everything is for himself and he's not rich towards God. So covetousness will do that to you. Covetousness in your heart will make, will cause that you bring everything to yourself. Right? And now, the, the reason why we're saying that, if God is, God is obviously looking for someone and He's looking for people who He can bless so that they can be distributors. Uh, right? We, I mean, we'll look at those scriptures more and more. Um, maybe we can just look at one quickly so long. Let's go to one of the words, First Corinthians. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter nine. It's Second Corinthians chapter nine. And then we'll read here from from verses five. Second Corinthians chapter nine verses five. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof you had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. But this I say: He which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly and he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully verse 7 every man according as he purposes in his heart so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity for god loves a cheerful giver and god is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work now uh, usually this scripture right here is taken when we say God is able to abound all things, all grace towards you, uh, that you may do every good work. We usually take it materially and you can because the Bible uses the word all grace. So you can take it materially, but it includes, it doesn't only mean materially, it also includes spiritual work. Uh, because if you understand what grace is, grace is the divine uh, enablement, empowerment, bestowment upon you. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. That means grace is a divine enablement in me to make me all that I am meant to be. I am what I am by grace. Simply not by God just forgiving me, but also by God empowering me to become what I must be. And uh, so if there is, if there is, for example, if you need to minister to someone, if you need to counsel someone, if you need to um, pray for someone, do healing or something like that, the Bible says all grace is made available to you because you are a bountiful giver. Right. So verses 9. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. So here, righteousness is connected to having given, have, uh, 
dispersing abroad and helping the poor. Can you all see that? Okay, so, and he says, his righteousness remains forever. So in other words, when we give and when we also help the poor, the Bible says it's a form of righteousness. And it, it says your righteousness will remain forever. Next one, verses 10. And then he says, now he that ministers seed to the sower, okay, so there's a guy who wants to sow, he gives seed to the sower, and then he says, both minister bread for your food, and then multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. What is the fruit of your righteousness? The giving, the dispersing, the giving to the poor, being able, we read it most just in the previous verse, the righteousness was the dispersing abroad and then the giving to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. Now he says, so, so in other words, there's three things that happen here. One, God gives seed to the sower. Two, he gives bread to the eater. That's you. And, he, and then he will also increase the fruits of your righteousness. So God wants you to do three things. He wants you to take out of, your, out of the, the increase, out of the abundance. He wants you to give it back or sow it back into your business or into your work or maybe into your pers- uh, some I get, personal life. And then he says you must also eat bread so you can live off it. And then he says, and then you must also use it to increase the fruits of your righteousness. So that means that you must disperse abroad. So there we see those three things. Do you all see that? Okay. So there I just wanted to show you. I just wanted to show you what God wants. He, covetousness will make that there's no fruits of righteousness. There's no giving to the poor. Or there's no dispersing abroad or giving for the work of God. Covetousness, everything you get is for yourself. Do you all, you all understand that? That's how covetousness will work uh, and it will and the usually the time that we are tested is when we get more when we increase so usually remember the the parable of of this man who lays up all things for himself the bible says he was increasing he was he was uh, he was just multiplying increasing and yet he had no place to store so, and usually this is where covetousness works. The minute we increase, the increase that we have, now we start thinking, now you immediately start thinking of what you need, what you don't have, what you, you know, all of a sudden things come up that usually you don't think of, you know, and uh, now all of a sudden, whereas before you were okay, you know, this is our life and so on, and now all of a sudden you got, let's just take, I'm just taking an example, maybe you got a 10,000 rand increase. Now all of a sudden you're like, now all of a sudden you see all the things that you would like to have, right? You now make room. You make room where to bring it back, right? And uh, God says, I want to bless you, I want to increase you, I want to give you these things. But he says at the same time, I also want you to have the ability to give. How many times have people said, and I've also said, you know, I, I don't have to give to God. If I, you know, if God would give me more, I would give. give. 
I would then give. Right now, everything that I have is just taking care of me. Um, if God would give me more, I would. But lo and behold, if covetousness is there, when more comes, you will make room for the more in only in your personal life. You will lay up treasure just for yourself. Do you understand? And then you're, you're coming to the same situation and you say, Ek het die om te gee nie. Right? But uh, when God increased you and you designed everything in such a way that now you just don't have more to give. But you did get an increase. But now you're back at square one. Covetousness put you back at square one. You just don't have more to give. Do you understand? Okay, so uh, that's how covetousness works. Let's go, let's go uh, to First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. Okay, we're just gonna talk about covetousness. Give me verses six. It was the, that, that, was the, that was the first thing that happened to me. You know, and then the Lord was speaking to me about covetousness. And someone put a whole lot of money in my hands. And I was like, wow. And then the first thing I did was, how can I make room? You know, I was thinking of everything that you would want, uh, need. All, all of a sudden, something that is just a want becomes a need. You say, no, we need. <laughs> but... Before you could live without. You understand it wasn't really that type of thing. So here in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So I had to, I had to put the bricker on. And say well let's just stop here. Lord speak to me here. You know I, I got this money now. And my mind is running wild with me. It's, I'm thinking of just... All of a sudden, things that I never saw and thought of, all of a sudden, I just am uh, making room. Uh, my bonds are enlarging. You understand? Now, please remember, I, I did the previous session. If you weren't here last week, you need to get that session. Uh, remember, I'm not saying you can't prosper. I'm not saying you can't plan your prosperity. can't plan. can't eat from the abundance. I'm not saying any of the things, uh, you know, and that is what you could think. That's why I needed to do that first. Okay, so that we can all stay on the same page. We're dealing with the motive, the intent. Right? But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, gain, prosperity, is not a sign that you are godly. Okay? So, that is something that we all need to um, put into our minds. It is not a sign that we are godly. And, uh, and so, we can't have that. The word contentment but godliness with contentment is great gain I think verse 5 says um, that some people think that gain is godliness but this one says contentment is with great gain the word contentment means to be satisfied with what you have 
The word contentment means to be satisfied with what you have. And it means to have sufficient. Sufficient. Okay? So it means to be satisfied. And then the word content, it means from the Greek. The word content in the Greek means to be strong. It means to be strong. It also means to raise a barrier. So when, that's the Greek definition for contentment. The word in the Greek that is used. It means to raise a barrier. And it also means enough. Enough. So contentment, uh, excuse me, no, covetousness, you will just never come to the place of it's enough. That's what covetousness will do. You'll just never come to the place of as genoeg. How much more do we want to buy for ourselves? How much more do we want to give for ourselves? The reason, and, and I think we, we spoke a lot about the world and, and this system and the way it operates. Temptation. Temptation. If you have covetousness, then you can fall into temptation. Temptation meaning um, like what, what Satan did to Eve. Do you see this tree? Do you see what it can do for you? Um, we measure ourselves with others. We, we will compare ourselves with others. Um, they have this. I don't have that. You know, now you want it. You will, like I say, you can get depressed. You can get depressed because you don't have what someone else has. You can get sad. You can get discouraged. You can even start complaining to the Lord because you don't have. Because you are covetous. You have covetousness in, inside of you. Right? Again, am I saying you can't plan your movement, advancement, prosperity? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is covetousness will, will always make that in every increase that you will come to a place that you don't have anything to give. Right? And, and so when I got that money, I needed to stop in my tracks and I needed to say right here, right, I need to make a decision right now. And I need to say, I am not going to spend all of this stuff on me. I am going to make room for God and His kingdom. I am going to use this to give. That's why my wife, when I told her we got blessed, she said, first she said, praise. Hey. She was happy. And next she said, for vivo ye no What do you want to do now? Where do you want to give it now? So she's kind of, you know, learning not to rejoice immediately and so on. Anyway, so I said, no, i got to let my wife, you know, have the things that she's wanted and so on. So, so I needed to stop and I needed to say, no, I need, I need to make, I need to have a plan here of how am I going to give for God also. You see, but covetousness doesn't include God or it has God in the back of its mind. But covetousness puts you first and puts God somewhere there at the end. Right? Until all these things. And I, and I saw as, the, as it was going on, the more we were just 
spending it on ourselves. The more we were just taking it for ourselves. And, and that's why I said I needed to come to a place and say, stop net hizo. You know? And so we needed to make a list and say, okay, yeah. What will you hear? Okay? And this is how much we're going to use and so this is what you can spend on ourselves. But from here on, it's for God. Right? Why? Because, because I want to become a channel for God. I want to God to put more in my hands so I can give more and be able to give. God will increase the fruits of our righteousness, our dispersing, our giving. Okay, next one. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. So, he's asking you to be content. Paul said, Paul said, uh, I have learned the secret in all things. He says, whether I abound or whether I don't abound. Whether I am in peace or whether I am in peace or whether I am in a struggle. He says, it doesn't matter. In all things, I have learned the secret. I am content. It's a barrier. It's a strength in us. It's a, it's a wall that we put up that can guard our hearts. Right? So, and this, and this type of uh, desire in us can cause that the word of God does not bear fruit in our hearts. Does not bring fruit. Because the word of God is sown into your heart. And the scripture says the sower that went to sow the seed, sowed it on, on wayside, thorny ground, stony ground, and good ground. The thorns, the thorns, the Bible says, was the cares of this world, the lusts and the cares of this world. And then it also said the deceitfulness of riches, which choke the word. Choke the seed, that this seed, this word that is sown into our hearts, sown into our lives, cannot produce fruit. You all see that? Cannot produce fruit. So there we need to be, so we need to, so he's, he's talking about a way of thinking. A way of thinking that brings us to a place of relaxing. You understand that we can be content. We brought nothing into this world. We can take, we can carry nothing out. So does that mean you can't buy yourself a house? No, that doesn't mean. He's just talking about a thinking. Are you making room for God or are you just making room for yourself? You lay up, uh, remember the story, the parable is you lay up treasure only for yourself and not to give abroad. Okay, verses 8. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. So, yetje. Yetje. If you're eating, do you have clothes? Do you have a roof over your head? You have enough. We have enough. Right? And he's saying, that's what, that's what he's saying here. Okay? Now again, are you going to get it? You know, that I'm not saying. I've got to keep saying that. Because you might think. And that's why I did the first session. Well, I'm not going to go back there. You must just go and listen to it again. So having food and raiment, let us be there with con. Tent, okay? You have sufficient. You have enough. Just now we're going to read Jesus' opinion about it. What Jesus thinks. The mind that you should have. 
Okay? The mind that you should have. Next one, verses 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. So, when there's covetousness, there is many hurtful lusts and things that we struggle with that, we, that will bring to us. Okay? Um, when there's covetousness, for example, when there's covetousness, for example, when someone else gets blessed, when someone else, let's say, for example, someone else now just bought himself a nice house. And you have covetousness, you can't be happy with him. You, you can't say, hallelujah, praise God, oh man, God blessed you, thank you. You know why? Because you don't, you're, not, you're not satisfied with where you are. You're not satisfied with where you are. So you can't rejoice. You can't um, be happy with, with those people. Um, in fact, uh, it will change the way you speak or the way you feel in your heart. You, you can struggle with things. Um, so so the, the, the pursuing, the, the running after, they that will. The word will there means determine. Purpose in the Greek. It means to purpose. It means to determine. It means to come into this place, into your heart, and this is where I'm going. Okay. Fall into, into temptation and a snare. So it doesn't mean that you will fall in. It means that you could fall into temptation. Alright? You could fall into temptation. And and a snare and find yourself in a trap in a place into and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition next verse verses 10 for the love of money is the root of all evil okay which while men so while some coveted after See, in the beginning I gave you the definition. Covetousness also means the desire, strong desire for money. So, which while some coveted after, they have erred, strayed, departed from the faith. That's what the word erred means. It means to depart. You know why we got to deal with this thing? Because if we prosper and go into these areas, we can, we can find ourselves departing from the faith we can find ourselves straying from the faith erring from the faith no longer in the faith and that's why and that's why we need to be that's why we need to take heed we need to beware and that's why we need to understand it we need to understand how it works or what it does and so on we can depart from the faith and pierce themselves through with many sorrows, pain, grief, depressed, unhappy, and you know, all these type of things. I mean, the running after these things can make you walk over people, can make you treat people not uh, right, uh, treat people with disrespect, and so on. Uh, it, can, it can really do damage to you. And so you need to be careful, right? 
You need to be careful of this. Uh, next verse. Verses 11. But you, O man of God. I mean, when, when, I, when I heard this, I felt, like, I felt like a father speaking to a son. When I read this, I was like, wow. I was like, it's like a father sitting someone down and saying, listen, listen, my child, listen here. I want to give you some advice. That's how I felt. Because the book of Timothy is from a father to a son. And I read the Timothy how many times. And, but when, it just, when I just began to open and see all these things. For, uh, for example, what the Lord showed me was, this is why, this is why sometimes people, uh, people in their workplaces are so unsatisfied. So, um, uh, the things that they are looking for. When you read Jesus in Luke chapter 13, you will see Jesus said, don't seek the clothing, the, the adding. He said, don't seek, don't seek to the eating and the drinking and so on. He said that. And so in other words, when we seek these things, we find ourselves unhappy at our work because we want to go forward. Right? We all have a desire to go forward. And we want to move, we want to advance, we want to prosper. But, it is, but, the, the, but the desire in us has moved to a level of covetousness. Okay, that desire has shifted to covetousness. And now, when things don't happen, it brings depression, it brings, you're unhappy, you just, it brings that you complain. Or when the, when the workplace is too difficult and, you know, it, it just... You, you're pursuing the wrong thing. And here, God is saying, you pursue righteousness. You pursue godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Now, now you're saying, but if I don't go after those things, how am I going to get them? And I want to tell you, we're going to look at the life of Daniel. And you will see in Daniel that Daniel had no desire for silver and gold. Uh, in the one place, when they, in the one situation uh, where I think it was, it was Neb King Nebuchadnezzar's son. And he was drinking. He said, bring all the vessels out of the temple that was taken from Jerusalem. So he brought all those things and he was drinking and partying with all the stuff. And then all of a sudden this came this finger out of nowhere writing on the wall there. And none of the wise men could interpret the, the, the writing on the wall. And then the queen said, listen to, I think it was Belshazzar is his name. Belshazzar. And he said, listen, listen, uh, king. I want to tell you there is a man in your kingdom. And has wisdom and excellence. And Belshazzar. There's no Belshazzar and there's Belshazzar. Okay, so is it two different? Yeah. Okay. So one of the two. Okay. So, and anyway, and what happened was, what happened was that she, this queen said, listen, your father, yes, the king, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, he put this man over all the wise men. And this man has skill for interpretations and finding out hard things and difficult things. This man, Daniel, he can interpret that thing for you. And he went and got him, brought Daniel. And, uh, 
and obviously he gave a reward to any man that could interpret and tell him what is the writing on the wall. And while, he, while was the writing on the wall, and he, and he gave him a reward, he said, I'll give you, I'll give you gold and I'll give you, you know, you'll just give to them. And Daniel came in and said, listen, I'll interpret that thing for you. But as for your silver and your gold, keep it to yourself. I don't want it. You see, he had no covetousness in him. He had no desire for these things. But in the midst of that system, he kept going from promotion to promotion, from level to level, as he was a man that seeked righteousness. This guy wasn't crooked in his work. This man had no sticky fingers. This man, when he did the books, he did them to the T, 100% correct. They wanted him to do the books. They wanted him to do the stuff because they knew that under this man, Daniel, everything, everything will, everything will be done right. I know I'm not going to lose a cent from this man. Righteousness. The book of Proverbs, when he talks about righteousness, it's not talking about a believer. It's talking about even a man that is not saved, that doesn't know Jesus as Lord. But if he has righteousness, if he works with integrity, with righteousness, um, doing it that way, yeah, even he himself shall find himself prospering. So when we seek these type of things, and, and, and then Daniel interpreted the writing on the wall, and then the Bible says, and they gave him the necklace and the gold and the stuff, they promoted him. And he took the promotion. But he didn't want it. But they gave him. And this is where I saw that God, when he promotes us, he honors us. And the word honor means he adds to us. He, you, you honor with substance. You honor with substance. So God gives. And so you find that yes, the man Daniel... Daniel had an eternal perspective. This guy was in Babylon and all he wanted, he was, he opened three times a day while he was in Babylon. He opened his windows and prayed to Jerusalem. He was, a, he, he was a living as, I'm in this world, but I'm not from this world. He lived as a stranger in this world. So Daniel becomes for us an excellent example of how by God's way we increase. So what I'm telling you is that if you seek these things, it will inevitably bring you to the place that you actually want to be. Okay? It will bring those type of things to you. So seeking righteousness, seeking living right, living with integrity, working with integrity, working, doing your work righteously. Um, we'll go more into that later on. So godliness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. So here we are told not to pursue those things, but we are to pursue these things. Now, and why? Because you want to, because the Bible says as long as you are in this life, there is a time to cry. There is a time to be happy. There's a time to be sad. There's a time to die. There's a time to be born. 
You see, so they, they are, while you're in this world, you will experience disappointments and you will find difficult times, hardships, happy times, all these things in this life. But if you are seeking those things, then if I speak to you about how to handle your suffering, then you're going to, yes, please tell me how to handle my suffering. Because I know that suffering or trials works patience. James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you enter into diverse or many temptations. The Greek word trials, tests, difficulties. And he says, knowing this, that the trials works patience. And when and patience produces its perfect work in you, that you may be entire, lacking nothing. So now, difficulties serves a purpose. But when I'm not pursuing these things, I'm not happy when it's not going that well. When I am under pressure, when it's difficulty, it's trials, it's these type of things. Uh, then every trial, every difficulty I have, becomes an opportunity to me to be godly. It becomes the opportunity. I, 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 um, I was speaking the other day to somebody on the phone. Nobody here. Okay, so while I'm speaking, you don't think of anybody here. There's nobody here. And uh, I was talking to this person on the phone. And, and then I was trying to encourage him. And then while I was encouraging him, it was the spirit just kind of like was in my exhortation. And I just started to understand scriptures that I didn't understand before. And it just started opening up. And while I'm encouraging, I'm like, I understand this thing. Yeah. And then, so what I want to say to you is, uh, talking about the suffering and this trial. What happened uh, while I was speaking to him, there's a scripture that says, Jesus says, if any man come after me, what must he do? He must deny himself, he must pick up his cross, and he must follow me. If you don't do that, he says, you cannot, you are not, there's no, there's no middle gray area, you cannot, you are not, you are not my disciple. Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. It's immediate, straight point down to the T. No, and I can't soften it up a little bit. Jesus said, you cannot. So I can't say, no, you know, I can't do that. It just says, you cannot be my disciple. Now, in other words, and then, and then now, now you say, pick up your cross, deny me. And now you say, okay, you must die. Yes, you must die. But the question is, how must I die? I must be crucified with him. But how must I crucify? Um, and, and Christians, we as believers, we love to crucify ourselves. We love to take a whoop and meet ourselves. Because we want to defeat right, the things in our lives. But Jesus was saying, what Jesus was saying is, the way you become crucified with me, is just follow me. Point. 
If you follow me, that means if you are obedient to me, it will require the denying of yourself. Peter, come. Leave your boat, follow me. So now the self can say, no, is this right? No, should not. What? The self will speak and say, no, I can't. And you'll have to deny yourself. And then you have to pick up your cross and follow him. Listen, I want to say to you, you cannot crucify yourself. You cannot put yourself to death. It will only be the work of the trial in your life. The trial in your life. The thing that will come upon you. The thing that you will maybe be struggling with or or things that people will say to you, be done to you. Jesus did not crucify himself. He followed the will of the Father. He was in the garden of Gethsemane and then he said, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass me by. But if not, okay, thy will be done. So now he had to be obedient to the will of God. But the will of God led him to the death of himself. Obedience to God will lead to the death of yourself. Because the more you have to be obedient to God, the more you must deny yourself and follow him. The more you have to, it's not my will, it's your will. The more you practice and the more you do that, the more you deny, the more you die to your will, the more it becomes His will. The more it becomes your will be done. Your will is my food. Not my will, but your will. We are, because primarily we're talking about standing as sons of God. God wants us to be sons, practically. And if you say you're a son of God, then you have to say like the son, my food is your will. Do you understand? So in other words, in other words, there is some things in your life that the word just cannot do. You can get all the words you want. The word has a measure of transforming and changing us. But there's some things that the word just will, can't do. It ne you, need, you need something to go through. Do you understand? You all understand what I'm saying? It, it does a work in our lives. God might not have been the one who brought that problem. But in all things, as we seek, as we pursuing godliness faith, right? It was, in Daniel's case, it was not God that brought him to the problem. It was as Daniel stood for his faith. It was as Daniel stood for what he believed in. It sometimes brought him into trials. As if you in your work, if your boss is asking you to steal, but you say, I won't steal for you. You might become blessed. Because blessed is he who is persecuted for righteousness sake. You wanted to love. You said, I will not be unrighteous. I will be righteous in my work. I will not lie for you. I will stay here and I will serve you and I will work. I'll do my work righteously. But I will not do unrighteous things with you. And neither will I steal for you. 
You know, now obviously you don't have to say it in that way. Okay? (laughs) But you can just say, no, I won't. I'm sorry, I can't do that. It's against what I believe in. You could find either he has respect for you, or you could find he might no longer like you. And then it could bring you into a situation that was not... You see, it was your righteousness that brought you into that problem. It was not God. It was the righteousness as you were pursuing those things. But the, the, the way the, the, the word, the, as you pursue righteousness, as you pursue these things, they will inevitably bring you to a, a greater place of um, exaltation, promotion, and all these type of things. But let me get to the point here. The point here is that there, someone must pierce you. Someone must talk bad about you. Someone must become someone as you grow in favor and prosper and so on, will become jealous and say things against you. Crucifixion does not come from you. It comes from others. So you can stop trying to kill yourself and just embrace your suffering. So embrace the struggle you find yourself in. Handle it differently. Pursue eternity, eternal life, righteousness, godliness, faith. Pursue it in the, in the trial, in the difficulty. Pursue these things. Because it can only but purify your faith in Him. And this is what we call the process. The process. You will, there is none of us here that will skip the process. We all can testify of our struggles. We can all testify of our difficult, hard times and struggles. Misunderstood um, things that people said to us. Things that were done to us. And so on. We can all testify of that. Now, the problem is, now when we get cru- when you are pursuing these things, it makes it so much easier to handle it. When you pursue comfort, it is difficult in the suffering. You have to seek righteousness, eternal life, um, eternity, the hope. That's why we spoke about hope. That's why hope. The hope, when you have a hope that is beyond this life. Now we have a hope that is in this life and we have a hope that's beyond this life. As you have a hope that is beyond this life. Reigning with Him, being with Him, living eternal life. Eternal life was obviously started now already because he that has believed in Him has passed from death to life. You have everlasting life. Eternal life has already started, but you want to keep and lay hold of eternal life. Beyond this life. When you have that hope, faith helps you to endure. Is faith for suffering? No. Faith is there to help you to get through it. Or to get out of it. However, explain. That's why we said in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says, some through faith chose rather 
to suffer than to escape the suffering. Faith made them do that. If you're pursuing faith, it will make you stronger in what you are going through. But what happens, what happens is, is we don't want to drink the cup. The Bible clearly says, you, you, as we are sharers in his suffering, we are the sharers in his glory. However that happens, misunderstandings, difficult, however it happens. My, my opinion is, that God is not the one doing the testing and the trial and the difficulty. God is with you. Right? We'll just stay a little bit. Um, in, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus just, in Matthew chapter 3, he got baptized with the Spirit. He got baptized in water and the Spirit came upon him like a dove. And the Bible says he went through, uh, and then the Bible says, he was filled with the Spirit. Matthew chapter 4 was 1. And him being full of the Holy Spirit. He went. He was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. Not to be tested by God. Not to have God bring circumstances upon you. So that you can be tested. He says. So, but, he, but he went. He was taken into a season of difficulties. And the one who did the testing upon him was the devil. The Bible says, to be tempted of the devil, not the tempted of God. Let no man say when he is tempted, tested, tried, same Greek word, he is tested of God, tempted of God. For God tempts no one, neither can he be tempted with sin. So the scripture says, when he went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, God was with him. So God is with you to overcome whatever trial there is coming your way. In whatever form it comes. But the thing is, I say, that's what I say. I say, and if we talk about persecuted countries where Christians are being persecuted, man, you can't bring American gospel, right? You can't bring our modern gospel to a. What do you want to say? No, God's going to give you a nice life. While they know they're going to, they might be killed for accepting Christ. You can't say God's going to give you a nice life. That's why you should not be living for it. You should be loving for this righteousness, per, uh, godliness, faith, love, patience, the kingdom of God, His purpose. The scripture says, the scripture says, we were saved according to his purpose and grace. Number one, why did God save you? According to his purpose. When Adam sinned, the purpose of God got lost. So he sent Christ not only to save humanity, but also to redeem his purpose in man. So you were saved for purpose. That's why you must live for purpose. You've got to live for the kingdom. What are you going to tell those people there? You can't tell them the stuff that we're always telling them here. We can't. 
You understand what I'm saying? You can't. Hey, we got a love for something else. We got to be pursuing and following something else. This is why we drown in Babylon. This is why we, we get trapped in it. Those, some of those people in those countries, they don't even want to get out there. They are pursuing. They, they are so close. I mean, they so dead as can be. But they didn't kill themselves. They know they laid their lives down from the start. If I give my life to Christ, it's costing me my life. That's what it is. You understand what I'm saying? We're going to have this thing. Now, when I suffer, if I do, the book of Peter says, if need be, you are going through many trials. Didn't say you have to go through trials. He said, if need be, if it does happen to you, if something like that happened, but when we're pursuing these things, it becomes the opportunity. I press through it. I go through it. Oh, how many times I wanted to give up? How many times I said, God, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay? Well, praise God, that season is Al Ankalfa Bay. That was in the beginning. Sometimes when I still talk about what I went through, I crack so when it was a seer, was was difficult. I remember once uh, being in Cape Town, driving in 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 his car, and I was driving, I was following Marianne and, and Estelle as they were driving ahead, and I was they were gonna drop a car or something like that. And I was driving in the car behind. And I was driving, I was, I was driving. I was complaining, murmuring, and oh God, what is going on here? I don't understand the stuff. And I said, God, can't I just be a normal? Can't I just go to church like everybody else? Can't I just do something else? And it was, it was, and the, and all the Lord told me. He never gave me anything else. He never, you know, all He did was He gave me hope, and I found faith to go through. I found faith to go through because he gave me hope. He showed me. He reminded me of things that had been said to me. And that put hope in me and gave me faith to go through. And I said, and then I, and then I answered and I said, okay, I'll stay here. I'll go through it. I will endure, Lord. I will go through this thing. Um, I don't understand why all those type of things. It becomes now the opportunity. It becomes now, okay, God, whatever you are doing or what, because he can use every misunderstanding, every wrong situation, everything. He can just use it for his. God makes all things work. You might have made the wrong decision, but God can make all things work together for His good. You might have made a mistake. God can do all things, make all things work together. You might have gone so backwards, but God can make all things work together for His good. He might not have planned what you are going through, but He can make all things work together for His good. He can make anything work together for His good. He can. And so, the, and, then, and then the Lord said to me, while I was speaking to this guy, 
Uh, I said a lot of things, but I don't want to say them now because we're just going to really go way off then. But the Lord said to me, it is there that you carry the cross. He carried his cross. Jesus said, deny yourself. He first was in the garden of Gethsemane denying himself. His will. Denying what he wants. I mean, the Bible in the, in the book of Peter says, this is the will of God that you suffer as Christ has suffered. You want to know the will of God? He didn't say this is the will of God that you suffer. It says that when you suffer, this is the will of God. How you should handle it. Okay, you're all with me. So he was in the garden of Gethsemane denying himself because he cannot pick up his cross if he hasn't come yet to the place of agreement with the will of God. If he hasn't come to the place of denying himself, he cannot even begin to pick up the cross. You first need to come there at the garden of Gethsemane where you wrestle with God. Where you pray until your will gives over to his will. And you say, thy will be done. You've denied yourself. Then he comes and then he carries his cross. What is it symbolizing? That while people will say things to me, while people will, well, someone must nail you to that stick. What is the cross symbolizing? It is symbolizing that I will, that I will choose not to retaliate to behave the way they are. Not evil for evil. It's a cross. Good for evil. Blessing for cursing. Forgiveness for hatred. The cross I will carry. Now the Lord said to me, you cannot, you cannot even carry your cross because the bait of Satan in your cross is offense. Wherever it comes, your brother, your sister, your boss, your pastor, in your marriage, or wherever, it doesn't matter. When there's offense, you cannot carry the cross. You put the cross down and say, I will hate you as you've hated me. I will curse you the way you have cursed me. I will speak bad about you the way you have spoken bad about me. Offense has caused you to drop the cross. And so it is there that God does the best work. But it, it, it depends on what are you seeking. If you're not seeking righteousness, what's the scripture? If you're not seeking righteousness, godliness, Holiness, His glory, His promises, His hope that He's laid up for you. You can, you can forget it. The cross is not the place you want to be. No one, and anyway, no one wants to be there. I mean, it's not as if it was for Jesus. Nice. But what? But He could, He could endure it. 
Because, because people, I mean his own disciples forsook him. They were with him for three years. Or three and a half. They were sleeping with him. They were eating with him. They walked with him. They left things for him. This was his closest people. They forsook him when his cross started. And unless, unless you know, you will not be, you will not, and no one, I'm telling you, no one gets into his call, his purpose, his thing with God without the process. The, because, because the modern gospel is making it so cheap. The only price you want to pay is when you buy the book. You don't want to pay price anymore. You know, and, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, you're going to have this more life, you know, whole life suffering. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying... When we do find ourselves in things like this, what makes it easier is because we are pursuing the right things. If we are pursuing the wrong things, you know, I mean, in, 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 the, in such a way as in covetousness, then you're going to find it's tough, it's difficult. You can't endure it. It is just too hard. Let me just see what's the time here. Hey, they flee Right. I think I'll just stop it anyway there. Uh, no, I won't go on. Right. But I want you to know, I want you to know that, you see, this is how we establish ourselves in the faith. This is how we build things into our lives that, 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 that we can handle the stuff that will come our way. The difficulties where we find ourselves in. Unexplained difficulties. Lord, how did I get here? Lord, how? What happened? I don't understand this. You know, that's why when I did the, the session on healing your faith. How we misunderstood God. We had such wonderful prophecies. We never expected the trials. We... We have such wonderful expectations. And those things are right. But we find ourselves in places. It's for this reason we are not willing to, to, to stand up for righteousness. You know, in our workplaces and so on. We are unable to be like Daniel. And say, no, I won't steal with you. I won't lie for you. Because we are seeking what he's giving to us. And what we know he could give to us. So we are not willing to maybe lose it. So as long as you... Um, so when we in our difficulties and so on, you need to be so aware of offense. Because offense is the difference between... Either, if you take offense, then the heart becomes hardened, embittered in the crucifixion process. You, it's in that time when you've got to allow the pain to do its deepest work in your heart. To liberate you 
Because when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was in the fire, they were it liberated them from the chains. It will do such a work in your heart. Because the Bible says, as we bear in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus, we make manifest the life of the Lord Jesus. So in other words, as we accept the dying, the life starts to break out and give us that heart to forgive, give us that heart to, 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 to do things that we find is impossible, but Christ-like. Christ finds himself no longer imprisoned in us. You all understand what I'm saying? You can't crucify. So just relax. Stop trying to kill yourself. But follow him. Follow. Because if you don't follow, you'll be dying the wrong death. You'll be drowning in stuff that you didn't want. You've the obedience. The Bible says, Philippians chapter 3 or chapter 2, it says, His obedience led even to His death. See, when you obey Him, you have to deny yourself. You have to, and so on. So, um, we're dealing with the heart here. Okay? We're dealing with the heart, the intent, the motive. We've gone off a little bit, but that's okay. Um, I, I felt God speak thee. Right? Um, so it's, it's fine. Let's, let's pray.